I had a vision that I one day would be free again to be an Indian. I married a white man in 1938, and yet there's that law that you're not Indian anymore when you marry a non-Indian. We lose our right to vote here, we lose our property. Our numbers will shrink and shrink and shrink, and really it's about our extinction. <laughs> so then I said, we've got to do something. Imagine, Mary, these recordings have gone untouched for over 30 years. This is the first time we have ever been able to speak. We demand that the Indian Act be changed to give us equal rights. You and your sisters, in a sense, you're equal when you think you're equal. And if you think you're unequal, the law won't change much. A law can make your own brother discriminate against you, like he's Indian and you're not. My mother became notorious. That's when she started getting the death threats. You have to know the politicians. Oh, God. Politics. It's wicked. Please search your hearts and minds. Set my sisters free. Set my sisters free. Welcome to Moving Radio. My name is Jared, and today we'll be interviewing the writer and director of Mary Two Acts Early, I Am Indian Again film that was released this year and has won a few awards already. Cordy Montour joins me today to discuss the film, the legacy, and the enduring impact not only of Mary, but also the story about her film. This film is one of the National Film Board's inductions for the Edmonton Film Festival that starts next Friday, October 1st, to Sunday, October 10th, with tickets available both in person and online for viewing, available at edmontonfilmfest.com. Thank you, Courtney, for joining me today for your latest project. It's an absolute pleasure to speak with you, and I wanted to let you know very much so that I enjoyed the film. It's beautiful, emotional, and indeed leaves a lasting impact on the viewer. Welcome, Courtney. Yeah, well, for having me. Do you mind explaining what Mary Two Axe's early involvement in the changes to the Indian Act were, and what the bill sought to reform in the original Indian Act? Sure. So, I mean, Mary Two Axe early was Mohawk from Ganawage, the same community as myself. She, you know, worked for over two decades to challenge Canada and sex discrimination in the Indian Act that impacted First Nations women and their children. So to me, she's a real role model and inspirational. I guess to let you know a little bit more about what that sex discrimination means, under the Indian Act, the federal government decides, determines who is a status Indian. And that's the word used in the law. And then by determining who is Indian and who has rights in Canada as a First Nations person. So part of that was if a First Nations woman married somebody who was non-Indian, she lost her status and so did her children. But if an Indian man married someone non-Indian, he, he kept his status, his wife would then gain status and so would the children. The Canadian government had set up a system that really discriminated against First Nations women, and it was a way to really assimilate and eliminate, you know, by removing women from their communities and their connection to culture and language. Basically, if you didn't have 
Indian status, you couldn't live in your community, you couldn't own property in your community, you couldn't vote in your community, uh, your children couldn't attend, you know, schooling in the community. So status is in many ways tied to being, you know, an active participant in, in community life. And so that's something that Mary Twex early challenged uh, the Canadian government on. Mary's story is quite inspiring to say the least. Well, her story and the many other women that you mentioned as being a part of the Indian Rights for Indian Women. One person in particular that you have in the film is Nellie Carlson, who's actually an Edmonton native and was one of the co-founders of Edmonton Rights for Indian Women. How important was it to be able to interview Nellie and get her perspective on not only the past of the organization, but who Mary was as a person and friend? It was so important. This film has a really strong connection to Edmonton. Nellie Carlson was one of the co-founder of Indian Rights for Indian Women. And that's really the national movement of Indigenous women who, you know, fought against this discrimination. So Nellie Carlson lived in Edmonton. She was Cree, one of the co-founders. And many of the women who were part of the movement really had roots in the Edmonton area. Mary Tuax Early was the vice president, and she was in Ganawage. And really, you know, the other hub was Edmonton. So it was incredibly important for me to bring that into the story, uh, into the film. And Nellie Carlson was one of the surviving co-founders of this movement. And so it was so important to include her voice, her knowledge, her experiences of this. You know, unfortunately, Nellie passed away last year. She was 93 years old. So it was so important. I was working on the film for four years. So I sat down with Nellie uh, in Edmonton in 2017 and spent time with her and her family and then actually filmed her interview for, you know, for the documentary. So it's really precious to have these lived experiences be a part of the documentary to get to see and hear Nellie share those experiences. Because as time passes on, these stories, this knowledge, this history will pass on too, if we don't take the time to sit and record it. And I think that's one of the biggest parts of this film as well, is that there's not a lot of archives out there on Mary Two Acts Early, on Indian rights for Indian women. They just weren't kept by our, our national archives and, and by the media. So it's so important to bring this history together in this film for the first time. Am I correct in assuming that in many of Nellie's clips in the film, you see her listening to Mary's voice recordings? May I ask the choice by, that you had in um, showing that to us as viewers and uh, how it added to that dynamic of the film as well? Yeah, I mean, for me, the base point that I started at for this film were the audio recordings of Mary 2X early. And these are recordings that filmmaker Alanisa Bombswin had made She's an incredible filmmaker, has been, you know, sharing Indigenous stories for many, many years now. And she was friends with Mary, sat with Mary in Mary's Gunawage home around the kitchen table for several months and just recorded her. That's really the, the root of the film and every decision that came out of that and, and the creativity around the film 
all starts with Mary's voice and her telling her own story. So it was important to have everybody who's involved in the film, who we see in the film, to listen to these recordings. So when I went and saw Nellie Carlson, um, I brought the recordings with me and, and she got to hear some of it. So again, to, to see her you know, physically listening you know, while we, the audience, are also listening was, was very important. And then that thread kind of follows through when I invite uh, Jody Callahan-Stonehouse and her daughter, Isabella, again, both from Edmonton, I invite them to Gunawage to sit around the kitchen table with Mary's son, Ed, and myself listening to these recordings. And I think it just, it, it helps as a reminder to the audience just how important it is and how precious these recordings are and that we're all being invited in together to listen to Mary for her to share her story. It's quite powerful um, just as a viewer to definitely like be able to watch her reactions and then also the other people's reactions too, just because it almost feels like she's in the room with everybody too, as they're learning about the story. In the film also, you actually bring up another interesting connection to Mary and the community that you both are from. Can you explain that connection and how much of an impact Mary might have had on you growing up? Mary comes from the same community that, that I'm from, so Gunawage, and we're both Mohawk. So I always grew up knowing her name and always knowing about these accomplishments and, and reading about them, you know, in newspapers or there's a paragraph in a book. Um, but of course, there's so much more to Mary to X early and, and to this story. And I was just always thought she's made such an impact in Canadian history in the women's rights movements, but why is there not more known about her? And so it was such, you know, an incredible gift to be able to tell this story that, that Alanisa Momswin entrusted me with these recordings because Mary's story is so important to me. And I think it's also extra special to be able to be from the same community to share that story. I think there could be a, a film on each one of these women who was actively involved in this movement, but coming from the same community, you know, I can bring a little bit more to the story. And I have such a connection with Mary's family and, it created a special, I guess, bond as well while making the film. The film does actually start with some audio recordings. They actually looked quite interesting in how one would play them. What was that process like? And like, how was it to, and if you don't mind explaining, sorry, uh, what uh, the device was that they were recorded on and like how you were able to like add that into the film? Uh, the original audio recordings were recorded on a Niagara. So it's quite a, a larger machine. And that was the standard of, of how sound was used to be recorded. And I thought it was really important to bring in the machine and have us listen to the recordings on that machine as well. Again, I think it's, it's bringing, hopefully bringing the audience back to the importance of these recordings and that they were recorded on tape and not digitally. So there's a, you know, another quality to them and, and that they come from another era. So that reminder of, you know, Mary Twax early and all of these women working for, you know, over two decades and, and dedicating their life to this fight 
you know, against sex discrimination in the Indian Act. I think these are all just reminders of the time that it took to make some change. As a part of the journey in the film, when you do invite uh, Jodi Kalahu and her daughter Isabella Kanawage, the scenes in the kitchen are quite powerful. What particular moments stand out to you in the topics discussed in those parts of the film? You know, I think to me, what was just emotionally impactful was being together and listening to the recordings. So Jody and Isabella hadn't heard them before. Mary's son, Ed, had never heard them. So it really was that that feeling of, you know, having Mary with us in the room. And I thought it was so important to, again, bring that back to Gunawage, to her house, where really this, this, this kind of grassroots movement started. There's almost so much importance and life and history just in that space with the work that has has happened and the politicians that have come through that door and the changes that have been made. So for me, that was the most important thing. And also, I think in a lot of our Indigenous communities, gathering around the kitchen table and, and, and talking and, and sharing stories, you know, that's, that's where it happens. And that's where Mary was raised, you know, by her grandparents as well. And so to, again, to just to bring that all back to her home, it's just a reminder of what she was fighting for. And she understood the value of being with your community and your family and your culture. And she brought that all forward with her in, in her fight for equality for First Nations women and their children. The film also shows a couple of archival footage of Mary and the group's meetings with politicians. These include some pretty famous politicians who actually make a couple of remarks that are actually quite surprising. What do you make of the remarks made at some of the, by the politicians at that time? And what does that speak for the times that were in front of these women as they kept going forward? You know, I mean, it depends what, which politicians you're speaking about. You know, there, there's quite a few different, um, you know. I don't want to give anything away for the viewers, but they're quite surprising. I guess um, a couple of them were, that were noted were either not prime ministers at the time, but would maybe later on become so. I mean, I guess I could say there's a few different remarks in the film. And I think there's one point when, when Mary's speaking in 1983 at a minister's conference. I mean, all the ministers, and the prime minister and everyone's sitting around the table. And it's, it's a room full of men, a huge, huge room of men and Mary had this opportunity to join them at the table. Um, you know, for me, I, I get chills every time I, I see that scene and how she's able to hold her space in that room. But at the same time, it's all men. And some of the comments, you know, are just kind of like, well, everyone's equal under the law, but it, it's not true. <laughs> and, and, and the film and Mary's fight, you know, proves that to us but she, she stuck with it. And I think those kind of comments are emblematic of, I think some of the same mindsets, mindset that's held by the Canadian government today and the pushback that she and these women had to deal with for many, many years. Another comment that sticks out to me is Flora MacDonald, who was a politician and she speaks in parliament 
and she's speaking on Mary to Astrolli's behalf and all of these women and demanding this, this female politician, Flora McDonald, is demanding that change needs to happen because Mary and all of these women have been waiting far too long. And again, I think it's powerful to know that other politicians were saying Mary's name in the House of Commons, that this is the impact that, that Mary had, but it's also telling that change has been made, but there's still so many women. Sex equality, it hasn't been reached yet. There's still so many women waiting. And just like what happens in that scene, women are waiting. And it, it takes time. And you know, the government needs to take action because women pass on. They pass away not being connected to their communities. This past June 28th actually marked the 36th anniversary of when Bill C-35 was passed. Was that in any way interlaid with time that the movie was released? And kind of touching on what you just talked about, what were and what are still some of the same issues that are faced by Indigenous women through the Indian Act? Just to clarify, the numbers can be very confusing. It was Bill C-31. Bill C-31 was the first amendment or change to the Indian Act that allowed for the rights of thousands of First Nations women to be restored. But it was the first change and it wasn't the last and there's going to be more to come. So every time there's an amendment, the federal government allows for one thing. It hasn't been fully rectified. It's, it's very complicated. And, you know, I would encourage people to, to read the Indian Act amendments on sex discrimination or look at the cases that are ongoing today with like Sharon McIver or uh, people like Pam Palmetter who continuously, you know, go to the UN and, and who discuss these issues. So it's important to see the, the ongoing work that continues that has been inspired by Mary. But again, some of the issues that we are dealing with, so there's still thousands of women who are waiting to be recognized, who either don't meet the requirements yet that the government has in place, or they're waiting for the paperwork, or they're being challenged in the courts. And while that happens, again, they're, they're not connected to their community. So much is tied to, to status. So like the right to live in the community, the right to, you know, vote or, or run in community uh, elections, the ability lots of times to access cultural and language programs is tied to status, educational resources. There, there's so many things that are determined by whether you're a status Indian. And again, it's the federal government that controls that. And they have yet to remove all of the um, sexist and racist policies that are a part of that. So until that is completely removed, women continue the, you know, the fight that Mary Tuax Early and so many other women have started. And they continue to, to carry you know, that kind of persistence and compassion forward as they continue this work. One of the most powerful parts of the film, I think, comes through the end, where once again, you're in the kitchen with uh, Jodi Callahue and her daughter, Isabella. 
And as you kind of just talked about, the discussion goes towards status and the bureaucracy of it. And Isabella being 17 years old at the time and kind of weighing in her mind how that choice comes into her life and how it is a choice that maybe many other people have. What do you think of that choice for people and, and how do you think that Mary fits into that? Again, identity is so challenging, especially when an outside government, the Canadian government has or is in charge of determining who is a status Indian. It's difficult, just like Isabella says in that scene as she's trying to understand, you know, this is who I am, but I also don't understand, you know, why does it have to be the federal government, you know, determining that, like it, it should be me. And it's very difficult, I think, for many, many people to grapple with that because we should be able to determine who we are. But we're, we are dealing with the huge challenge that's the federal government who determines who is status Indian in this country. By doing so, uh, the Indian Act isn't going to go away anytime soon. And attached to the Indian Act are obligations by the federal government to reduce their financial obligations. They will, you know, try to reduce the number of status Indians and sex discrimination has been one of the policies to, to do so, you know, bring down the numbers of status Indians. But there are many people in this country who are incredibly proud of who they are. And it's a challenge to, to balance both of that because there's obligations. There are responsibilities that the government has made and communities and individuals are you know finding ways to welcome their women their children their families back to their communities and so both are happening at the same time but i think the most important thing and what you know mary to early was was working for is to get rid of this sexist and racist ways of determining who is indian and that it shouldn't be the federal government who makes this, this determination. Here again, reminding you is Jarrett from Moving Radio. On CGSR, talking with the director and writer of Mary Two Acts Early, I Am Indian Again. It's a National Film Board produced project that is playing at this year's Edmonton International Film Festival. What does this legacy mean for to you? Mary Two Acts Early, I Am Indian Again, that will be played at Landmark Cinemas downtown, is Sunday, October 3rd at 3.15 p.m. and October 6th at 1.30 p.m., which is a Wednesday. Courtney, do you have any other current projects that you've kind of thought about, or do you have any other things that we can kind of look forward to that you might be working on in the future? Yeah, I mean, right now, there's a TV series, a documentary series, Skin Indigenous, season three, which is about Indigenous tattooing practices around the world. That is currently premiering on APTN. Uh, that plays Wednesday evenings. Uh, and just to check your local schedule uh, where you are in Canada. So Wednesday nights is a new episode, and I was fortunate to direct uh, three episodes of that series, including two in the Edmonton area, one in Edmonton and one in Mascotrees. And then I'm working on a new series called Pulse, which again follows uh, Indigenous dancers in Canada, and each episode focuses on a different dancer and their, their practice. As kind of a last question, Courtney, Mary's legacy lives on through the bill and the work that she and others battled to achieve. And the impact that she's had on many Indigenous women and people in Canada is quite clear. 
What does her legacy in today's society mean to you? Again, Mary Tuax really is a name that we should know and, and should be celebrated in this country because she has had such a large impact on the women's rights movement. And again, just for the, you know, the years of dedication and work that she's put in to get us where we are today, that the work that so many other Indigenous women continue, you know, against sex discrimination in the Indian Act. So that's important to see where the work has started and, and where we still need to go in this country so that our First Nations women also have equality in this country. One thing that we can all take away from Mary is to learn from her spirit and how she led. She really shows us that we all have the ability to make change in our communities and in issues that, that impact us. And I think that could be challenging sometimes. Sometimes we don't feel that, you know, we have the ability to make change. And I think Mary is such an important example of what we can all do. Once again, I would like to remind people that Mary Two Acts Early, I Am Indian Again, plays at Landmark Cinemas on Sunday, October 3rd at 3.15 p.m. and Wednesday, October 6th at 1.30 p.m. You can also go to edmontonfilmfestival.com to view showtimes for the virtual screenings. Thank you so much as well. And I'll be at the Sunday, October 3rd screening as well. This is the first time we have ever been able to speak. We demand that the Indian Act be changed to give us equal rights. You and your sisters, in a sense, you're equal when you think you're equal. And if you think you're unequal, the law won't change much. A law can make your own brother discriminate against you, like he's Indian and you're not. My mother became notorious. That's when she started getting the death threats. You have to know the politicians. Oh, God. Politics. It's wicked. Please search your hearts and minds. Set my sisters free. Set my sisters free.